If you have a Bible, you can turn to the 14th chapter of the good news of Jesus according to John. So the gospel of Jesus according to John, the 14th chapter. And as you're finding that place in your Bible, I want to state the obvious. And the obvious is the life we're living is filled with good things and it's filled with bad things. And it seems like the older you get, the more you notice the bad things, okay? Life is complicated. The ups and the downs and the times for rejoicing and the times for tragedy. Life in this world is hard. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said to his followers, in this life you will have trouble. But good times and bad times are true for Christians and non-Christians. Okay? And that's why it's so important, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, to hear what Jesus has to say in the 14th chapter of John. It is an awesome, amazing promise, what he offers in the 14th chapter of John. In fact, before we get to the promises, he's going to give a couple of commands, and I'm going to call them caring commands. Sometimes you think command like, do this or else. No, these commands are caring commands. And then what Jesus does after the caring commands, he gives a pretty detail, detailed explanation as to why these commands are so good and so caring and so important that you should never, ever, ever forget them. Okay? Context of John 14 is Jesus is about ready to go to the cross and be crucified. Okay, he's already exposed Judas for being the fraud disciple that he was. Judas is gone. He's also talked about even the most zealous of his disciples, the seemingly most faithful ones, are not going to be faithful. Jesus is leaving them, and this is a dark, dark, dark time. With that in mind, let's hear the caring commands and an awesome explanation because it's really what you need to know. It's a game changer. For the rest of your life, it's a game changer. I won't be able to help myself. I'm going to talk about them, the disciples. But then I'm just going to naturally, without even thinking about it, talk about us. And you and me, because we're disciples. We're not part of the 12 or the 11 at this time. But we're followers of Jesus. We're under His authority. He's our Savior. And these commands are therefore for you and for me. And the explanation that helps us understand is for you and for me. So, so let's, be, let's be encouraged. Let's hear this in, in a dark time. Caring command number one is in verse one. Look there with me, if you would, at the text. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus says to his followers, let not your hearts... That's you at your very core. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus doesn't say this because he's denying reality and nothing bad ever happens. Something terrible is about ready to happen. He, he, he's not pretending. Christians aren't supposed to pretend that nothing bad ever happens. Pain and suffering are real. But Jesus says, amidst the darkness that's coming, let not your hearts be troubled. 
There's to be a resilience, there's to be a steadfastness, there's to be a sureness, there's to be a confidence. And that's the command. It's a caring command. You, you, you don't have to freak out. There's a calmness, there's a steadiness. At the very core of your being. How about through tears, because tears are a normal part of grieving and suffering. Through the hardness, through the confusion, it's let not your heart be troubled. Don't be shaken. There's an inside steadiness. Instead, here's a positive command. That's the, that's the negative command. It's a great negative command, but here's the positive great command. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I think I, maybe I said there are two commands. There's actually three, but the second one goes together. Negatively, don't be troubled. When the worst thing ever on planet earth is about ready to happen. Don't be troubled. Instead, believe in God. What does that mean? What does believe mean? Believe means have confidence in. Believe means trust. Believe means rest. We talk about that all of the time. Rest in God. Have your confidence in God. Super basic, I know. And we could say, okay, sermon is done, we're all done, and this, this right here would be worth showing up at Omaha Bible Church today. It would be worth it for me. Because God is trustworthy. God makes promises. God keeps His promises. And, and so you, you, you don't have to be troubled. As a new Christian, I'm super thankful that people taught me that it's really good to memorize Scripture. So I was memorizing Scripture, lots of them out of context, you know, and just, but I was memorizing scripture. This is what you do now that you're a Christian. Okay, I'll go buy the cards and I'll memorize these things. And some of them I still remember today. I'm super grateful. The Bible talks about hiding God's word in your heart. I'm also grateful that someone else came along in my Christian life pretty early on and said, it's good what you're doing there, memorizing scripture. Keep it up. Another helpful thing would be for you to learn the attributes of God. Know who God is. Get a good book about the attributes of God. Study the Bible asking yourself the question, who is God? And I remember, I don't remember when it was or who gave it to me. They gave me that book by A.W. Pink, The Attributes of God. It was so helpful because it was, it was giving me like the, 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 the quick version of the whole Bible in a sense. Here's who God is. God is good. God is powerful. God is for you if you're in Christ. God is sovereign. He's the king. He's in charge. He can do whatever he wants to do. Right? God is faithful. God is omnipresent. All of these things. Another good one, Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God. It's a book about the attributes of God and remembering how it would relate to you. I'm so thankful for these things. Don't let your heart be troubled. Amidst the trouble, believe in God, rest in God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus then says, with equality, this is pretty, this is pretty crazy what he says. Not crazy as, I mean, pretty, pretty 
outlandish, pretty extreme, pretty profound, pretty gutsy. Believe in God, then what does he say? Believe also in me. Same level. And as we read, we're going to see, and we've seen it already in John, but we're going to see even in our text, he has every right to say that. But, but notice, it's extreme. I mean, this makes me think about being baptized in the name of the Father. Okay, that's one thing. And the Son and the Holy Spirit. Wow! Jesus is not a mere prophet. He's not a mere philosopher. For him to say, believe in God. Yeah. Believe also in me. Believe equally in me. Trust in me. It's because of who Jesus is. He's the Son. He's the unique one. He's the sent Savior to come from heaven. He's not a mere human being. He's the eternal Son who became a human being. Wow! And now we're on to attributes of God still, but understanding them in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, the one who came here to reveal God to us. What do you think? I hope you like it, because I sure do. This, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is, this is practicality. This is where we live our lives. Amidst the good times and the seemingly increasing bad times. Don't let your heart be troubled. Have confidence in God. Have confidence Jesus is also in me. This is absolutely, positively, profoundly amazing. Please know this so far. It's absolutely vital that we, that we hear the both sides. It's one thing for me to say, don't let your heart be troubled. Period. Yeah, but based upon what? You just want me to deny reality? No, based upon the fact that you believe in God. You believe also in Jesus. And then we get into the, into the details of the gospel and what Jesus came to do and who Jesus is. And now all of a sudden, yeah, that's right. I can have clarity in my looking forward to the future. I can have a confident kind of hope no matter what happens. It's exciting. It's a game changer. You ready to move on? Okay. Now we're going to go to verses 2 and following. We've got the commands, and he's going to explain why. He's going to give the rationality why. He's going to unpack the depth as to why he could say this. But I, I hope and pray, and I'll pray at the end, but seriously, I hope and pray that you, you never forget this. I mean, I think we're always going to forget it. That's why we worry about things. But, but in, a, in an ultimate sense, you never, ever, 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 ever forget this. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And you all know enough about Jesus to go, I, I understand. I already think I know where he's going. Here we go. Verse 2. 
in my father's house. This is the rationale. This is how he can say these crazy, they're not crazy in a, you know what I mean. How he can say these amazing things. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Extreme goodness. This is why. This is why you don't have to freak out. Okay. In my father's house. Okay. The abode of God, to use a different word. The dwelling of God. In my father's house. It's where God lives. Which is pretty interesting because he's talking to Jewish people and the temple is still there then and it's still functioning. And Jesus isn't talking about walking across the street. He's talking about leaving earth to go to heaven to his father's house. You want true dwelling of God? This system is a shadow and we're going to have fulfillment. It's going to be better. And think about how encouraging that would be to these people now who are Christians who used to go to the temple because they were Jews and now they have nothing. In my Father's house where God Himself uniquely dwells are many rooms. This is, this is amazing. Please notice, and we'll go faster on some other verses, but not here. My father's, right? To state the obvious, that means he is the son. And we know he's the unique son. But if he's the son, he's the unique son. He has unique access, right? Unique relationship. There's a, he, God, only one son, the unique son. So he has all of the rights and all of the privileges Regarding his father's house. Okay, that's pretty awesome. Also notice that it's a grand house. There are many rooms in his father's house. It's grand. It's awesome. There's plenty of room. So when your life is terrible, don't let your heart be troubled. Terrible because Jesus is going to leave them too, by the way. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe, believe also in me because in my Father's house, oh, He's my Father. But you're my disciples. Are many rooms. Listen to this. And the grand house with many rooms has a quote, unquote, place for you, personally prepared by none other than the Savior, Servant, Son, Himself. Listen to this. This is why one's heart need not be troubled. There is an ultimate end to your trials, and it isn't of this earth. There's an ultimate end to your trials, and it isn't of this earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, right? Wow. This is so good for us because we, we as Christians who know this stuff, still fall into this kind of trap of thinking this, this is it. 
It's no wonder we freak out. This isn't it. Amidst, amidst the tragedy and the difficulty for the believer, the ultimate isn't that the problem gets solved. Not that we can't pray for the problem to be solved. The ultimate, the ultimate, so it changes the perspective on everything because this is the ultimate perspective. Jesus is saying, you'll be with me. And I personally prepare a place for you and it's in God's house. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 3. And if I go, and we know he's going to, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you, notice the personal nature of all of this, to myself, that where I am you may be also. So where, 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 where's he going to be? He's going to be with his father. Preparing a place. But he's going to come again and take you, the believer, there also. To be with Christ. It's awesome. A prepared place for Pat. He doesn't say there are 11 rooms. There's more than 11. A prepared place. It's not fictitious. It's not made up. We're hearing from the one who came from heaven. He knows. Revealed God. He knows. Did everything right. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be resurrected. See, there's victory read into this. Ascension, victory, preparing a place. It's awesome. When I was a kid, my mom was like the female butler for a person who had a mansion. I've told the story before in different forms. I learned how to drive at this person's, I don't know what you call it, their estate. They had five limousines and a gas pump. And sometimes the old man would say, Pat, I think he wanted to get me out of the house. Pat, why don't you go up and fill up the cars? And if you want, you can drive down to the creek. Papio Creek. All right, go out. Third grade. Seat goes up to the front. We didn't have electric seats. Not too many cars had electric seats, but these limousines did. Back it out, drive it through the grass onto the access road, drive it down to the Papio Creek where one Pacific place is now. Go get the next one. Just, it's just what I did. Sometimes my mom would take my neighbor and I, Paul Nurse, it to school in the limousine. We would sit in the back. He would pretend to be Larry Bird and I was Dr. J. <laughs> we just put the window up so my mom couldn't talk to us. And just in the back like this. It was awesome. Sometimes the man would go out of the country and we'd maybe go have a night and stay at the house. I think I'm right in remembering there were 13 bathrooms. It was amazing. It was make-believe. But here was the thing. We always had to go home. We always had to leave. 
We'd go and we would pretend. We'd pretend like we were Dr. J and Larry Bird. We would pretend like we were bazillionaires in a mansion with 13 bathrooms. We would live high on the hog. Indoor pool, outdoor pool. This is amazing. We were pretending because it wasn't real. Jesus says, I will prepare a place. I will prepare a place for you. To push it, name on the door. Nothing can be better than this. With Jesus. It's not made up. It's not pretend. If I can add a command and just, not not to scold you, but just to say, would you please stop believing lies about heaven on earth and this is all there is? Christians are supposed to be like this. And that command is as good for me as it is for you. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. How about verse 4? And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus has been so clear, he could say, you know the way where I'm going. He's already said where he's going. He's going to the, to the Father in verse 6, and you know the way. But notice here, here's, here's how we respond if we're like Thomas. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. He just said where he's going. Right? And, and if these people who are listening to Jesus audibly sitting in front of him have a hard time having this sink in, no doubt we're going to have a hard time having this sink in. It's the reason, one of the reasons why we need each other. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, how can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And, and the response is like, okay, where have you been? Slow on the uptake. And now, drum roll, please. We just got some new drums. They would sound good. Here we go. Now, here's what one, here's what one person said about this. Well, we're about ready to read. It's the core statement of this entire gospel account. I don't know if that's true or not. But it definitely fits. Everything that's come before, everything that's come after, fits our context. The core statement of the entire gospel account. Here we go. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. What else do you say? He's been proving it, right? Again and again and again and again and again. And he's going to continue to make that clear. But Jesus says, I am the way. We know it's to the Father, the Father's house, where there are many dwelling places. I am the way. I am the access. And the truth and the life. Lots of overlap, probably, with those three, three big ideas. The way, the truth, and the life. 
but we can at least take them and say, all right, if that's the core of the whole thing, maybe we should stop and say, what does he mean? He's the way. Well, that one's pretty straightforward. You have to believe in Jesus. Throughout the whole gospel account, he keeps emphasizing believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, resting in Jesus. How do you get eternal life? How do you get to heaven? It's by believing in Jesus, resting in Jesus. It's not what you do. It's through his work, not yours. He's the truth. The truth. Maybe just to quickly remind you or bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us, truth is used quite often in John in, in connection to revelation. He's the truth, the truth, the revelation of God. The way to know God. No one has ever seen God at any time, chapter 1. But Jesus has made him known, okay? He is full of grace and truth, okay? Truth, truth, truth. You've got the, I'm just going to jump around in my mind, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus confronts the Samaritan woman and he talks about their, the Samaritan's idolatrous worship. But the Jews are not idolatrous in their worship if they're faithful to the Bible because they worship in spirit and in truth. Or in truth, and Jesus is going to say, a time is coming when we'll worship in spirit and truth. Pardon me. But the truth is the revelation. Okay? It's not imagination. That would be idolatry. The Samaritans were guilty of that. They were using Bible and imagination. So when Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the revelation of God, so that you can truly know God. And I'm the life. And that makes tons of sense. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, as a, as a recovering fundamentalist, I've, I've memorized this verse, and I know this verse, and it's good to memorize this verse. And it's important. And we'll talk about the negative side of it in a second, because it's, it's actually vital. But sometimes we memorize the verses, and, and we haven't really thought about why they would say what they say. I'm the way, okay, pretty straightforward. I'm the truth. Got to do a little bit more digging, but well, yeah, he's not truth to you. He's not a truth. He's objective truth, revelation. I'm the life. I'm the life. Let's think about that. Throughout John, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. Sometimes he doesn't use the word eternal. He says life, right? But if you want to have forever lasting life. If you want to avoid spiritual death, condemnation, judgment, you believe in Jesus for life is what you do, right? He is the life. He's the life because he's the one that does the right things on behalf of everyone who would believe, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Makes me think of Luke chapter 10. Do this and live. Context is eternal life. How do you gain eternal life? You do what God commands and you'll get eternal life. Yeah, but that means I'll never have eternal life. That's right unless I believe in the one who is the life. Because he did all the right things. He did this so that we could live eternally. 
And that's really what he's getting at in John 5. Bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven. Gulp. That's why we need a substitute who is the good one so we can have life in the one who is the life. Okay, I wanted to go to John 1.14. I wanted to go to John 1.17 and 18. We're not going there. Don't have time to go there. I wanted to go to John 5. We don't have time. We're not going there. You guys are getting cheated. I don't think so. You know what's amazing too? He goes to the cross and suffers death to defeat death so that we can have life. And then he's raised from the dead and the Bible says he's vindicated. He's the one who always did the right thing. He didn't deserve to die. He can't stay dead. He's the life. Now the negative. This is why the negative though. We might have to not do all 14 verses today, you think? How about verse 6? Here's the negative. No one comes to the Father. That's the where, where, where we're going. No one comes to the Father except through me. My question for you right now is, why would Jesus say such a thing? Because it's true. If he's the unique son, how else do you get to the father's house? There's only one son. There's no other way. He's the unique servant son. It, it doesn't even make sense for there to be another way. He, he's the truth. The revelation of God. No one has ever seen God before. Chapter 1. And he's interpreted God for us uniquely like no one else. That's what chapter 1 says. There's no other way because there's no other way to even know. Oh, and he's the life. No one else did everything right, even to the point of death, obeying his father, death on a cross, and was raised and vindicated. He couldn't stay dead. No, no one's ever done it. It can't be done. And so this is not some kind of mean-spirited, negative, high-handed, right-wing thing. No one comes to the Father. It's stating the obvious. It would be impossible. It would be impossible otherwise. It's, it's, it's good news <laughs> that Jesus has done this. That this is who Jesus is. Believe in Jesus, but it would be terrible. It would be misguided. It would be, it would be upside down, perverse thinking to think that there would be another way. Don't go there. What, by the way, what, let's just push this a little bit. What if Jesus would have said, and I'm one of the many ways. He would be a liar. He'd be lying. If the requirement is perfect obedience to God, that's who gets in. Read chapter, read chapter 5. And to have all your guilt removed 
he, he wouldn't even be telling the truth. Now, I realize this is hard for us and it's complicated, but let's remember, this isn't the, 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 we're not the first pluralistic culture to the point where Christians were often referred to as atheists in the first century because they didn't believe in the many, 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 many different ways. Christians weren't atheists, but they were saying there's only one true God and there's only one way to the one true God. It's through his one and only son. And this is good trust in him. So this isn't new. It's not Christian, we're not the first Christians who ever, who, who've ever had to deal with the complication of, of pluralism, religious pluralism. It doesn't mean this, and, it, and it's not bad news to beat somebody over the head with. It's actually good news in context. But it's hard for us, isn't it? We're, we're, I, I saw someone mention this week, we're living at a time where Christians are called to believe everything and accept everyone as legitimate except Christianity. Think about that. As a Christian, you're expected to embrace everyone as true and every religion is true except you're not to accept yours. It's bizarro world. It's wild. It's wild. We're supposed to believe everything other than what Jesus just said. I got to believe what Jesus said, and it actually makes a lot of sense. We should be done. We should stop there. Context, context, context. Remember, remember, remember. The game changer is the game changer is this. Do not let your hearts be troubled in the midst of the horrific loss of Jesus or any lesser thing. Believe in God. Believe also in Christ, Father, Son. And the reason you can be steady and the reason you can be bold and the reason you can be steadfast even amidst the tears is because the personal Jesus is personally preparing a place for persons like you and like me. It changes everything. Everything. Okay? We should pray and we'll pick up again next week. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the way and the truth and the life. Thank you that according to your amazing grace, we come to believe in him, to rest in him and in his promises. And we're grateful for this and we're grateful that we can know this and we can know that Jesus is a great Savior and we'll be with him. And that will be better than anything we can experience in the here and now, even though we experience many great things. So please use today to, to, to use your word and use your spirit and use your church to impress this great, great reality on our hearts. And also, Lord, please use it, so, so impress it upon our hearts that we would be better missionaries, um, that, we, that we wouldn't be busy just scolding people, that we would be better missionaries, that we could communicate people with, uh, with those around us the good news of salvation in Christ and why it's good and why it's true and why it's necessary. Give us many opportunities like that in our families, extended families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and in the world. 
Encourage us today, God. We need your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.